I've got a video I want to show you that is uh, part of our series on hearing God's voice. Today, we are focusing on hearing God's voice through the scriptures. And so, Greg, if you don't mind getting the lights for me, and uh, we've got that video ready. You all ready? Wonderful. Bible is a collection of books written in different literary styles like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now all of these examples are modern American literature in that they came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature from another place in time, or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay. Meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. 
And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. So this ancient Jewish writing style, it must create unique types of narrative and poetry and discourse. Yes, and we'll explore all of those literary styles starting next with biblical narrative. Uh, what's called the Bible Project. You can just go to BibleProject.com and uh, they've got videos upon videos upon videos on every book of the Bible, every kind of theme that you can think of through the Bible, especially these videos on how to read the scriptures. But for us today, it's not just about reading the scriptures, it's about hearing God's voice through the scriptures. If you're new to Mission Vineyard today, I want, you to let, I want to let you know that Mission Vineyard believes that we can hear God's voice. Really, we believe that God speaks, and God speaks through his people. God speaks through wisdom. God speaks through the acts of the universe. God speaks through himself. We can actually audibly hear God's voice sometimes. We also, we also believe that God speaks through the scriptures, which is really important for me because I don't know about you, but there's times when I feel alone. There's times when I feel like I need God to say something in response to what's going on in the world. I need God to speak uh, when I need to make a decision. I need God to speak when just life is hard. I also need God to speak when I'm tempted. I am tempted often. I'm a pastor, but Jesus was tempted, and, and I get tempted too. And raise your hand if you've never been tempted before. Okay, so... If, it, if temptation is a part of our life and we can't get away from that, it'd probably be helpful to hear that God would speak to us in the midst of temptation, and he does. God speaks to us through the scriptures in the midst of temptation. One of the examples that the scriptures give for that is when Jesus was tempted. Did you know that Jesus was tempted by Satan? Jesus was tempted now, Jesus didn't sin. There's a difference between temptation and sin. But Jesus was tempted. And in response to that temptation, do you imagine what he did? He answered back with how God spoke to him through the scriptures. It's not up on the screen for you, but the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus said to him, no, the scriptures say... People don't live by bread alone. Then the devil said, I'll give you glory of kingdoms and authority all over them. And the devil said, because they're mine, I give to, to everyone, anyone I please. And Jesus said, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord God and serve him only. The devil said another thing. He said, if you're the son of God, jump off the temple. And Jesus said, uh, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. The scriptures say was enough for Jesus in the midst of temptation, in the midst of all that was going on, to recognize God's voice and move forward through the temptation. Now, some of you are thinking temptation. Uh, you heard Halloween candy, and you're thinking, well, uh, I'm not tempted by Halloween candy. So what are you talking about temptation? Well, there's a lot of different kinds of temptation. Here, the devil was tempting Jesus to do things that really were beyond what Jesus was supposed to do. Some of us are tempted to believe lies about ourselves. Some of us are tempted into fear and anger and depression. We're tempted by voices that are distracting because our world is distracting. I wake up sometimes in the morning and it's like, 
the devil hits me right as I wake up with some stupid thing from the day before. Anybody go to bed or wake up with thoughts that just bother you? And I'm tempted to believe those thoughts. Oh, that's right. That person does hate me because I used that wrong word. This is real. Life is so distracting that it's hard, especially in those moments, to hear God's voice. And so we're given this beautiful gift of a voice that's not just spoken, that we have to discern with a quiet understanding. We can actually go to the scriptures and read God's voice. And so on my best days, I leave from those moments in the morning and I go straight to the Bible. I've chosen to set apart a certain amount of my day to hear God's voice through the scriptures. Because I need to. I need to hear God's voice. Because the other voices are going to keep going. Satan's voices, the world's voices. I need to hear God's voice. You might wonder where it comes from that we get to hear God's voice. Well, I want to bring you to Exodus 19. We've been looking a couple of times at Moses and what it means to hear God's voice because Moses and Moses' people, the Israelites, got to hear God's voice in many different ways. They got to see him by clouds and fire that actually went with them as they walked. They got to hear God's voice through a burning bush. They got to hear God's voice through a proclamation through Moses. Let my people go. Have you heard that before? Let my people go. Well, there was a time when God said, I'm going to speak to you through those ways, but I also want you to write some things down. So in Exodus 19, it begins this narrative of what it means that God would want his voice written down. So Exodus 19.3 says, Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So what's the first thing that God is saying to Moses? Do you remember? Do you remember that I did this for you? Do you remember that you're actually free people? I know you're in a desert right now, but you're not enslaved to the Egyptians. Do you remember? I brought you to myself. So much of the Bible we have to understand is God with his people. The Bible is born out of a history that is very human. Now, that's different than many of the scriptures that you might see in the rest of the world. For instance, uh, the Muslims or uh, um, uh, Mormons, the uh, Latter-day Saints, would believe that an angel actually wrote down what's in those books directly from God. And so to damage even a page on one of those books is as if you could damage God. In the Christian scriptures and the Jewish scriptures, we understand that the Bible is born out of a history that's very human. These are people that are writing with the absolute inspiration of God to write down God's words and the testimony of God with his people so that we can relate to it. It is absolutely divinely inspired, and so we trust it as authority. But it's meant for us so that we can relate to it. Exodus 19.5 continues, If you obey me and keep my command, my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. So, God continues with Moses. I've got something I need you to know. 
Not only did I rescue you, but you are also my people. You're my people, and I want you to be my priests. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a priest. Some of you are thinking of heavy metal bands right now. And I just, I want to give you a high five, and it's not that. I don't want you to be a metal band. I'm asking you right now, God's asking you that you would be people that relate others to God. It's meant for people whom God has called. You are called people. God is saying, tell the people that want to follow me, that want to be a part of my business, some news. So in 1907, Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything that the Lord had commanded them. And the people responded together, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Now, I know that a lot of you here have said to Jesus, I will do everything that you command. And if we all went around and said, what percentage of things have you done that God has asked you to do? We'd be slim, just like the Israelites. The Israelites said, of course we'll follow you, God! Woohoo! Yeah! And like the next second, they were doing the absolute opposite. You wonder why God wanted these things written down. Because they got just as distracted as we do. Further on, after Moses draws out all the instructions for chapters and chapters, he says in Exodus 24, verse 3, Moses went down to the people, repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. This is like sending uh, your spouse or your child to the grocery store. A glass of milk, or a gallon of milk, loaf of bread, stick of butter, and they come back with M and M's, a steak for some reason, and eggnog. Of course, God is saying, "This is what's good for you. This is the kind of people I want you to be in order for the lost and for the hurting to get to hear my voice. You need to be my priests. This is what I want." And if Moses just said, "Now go for it. Do you remember it all?" They would have came back to him with some eggnog and a steak, a golden idol. And so what does Moses do? By God's command, he writes down everything that God had commanded. He wrote down the Lord's instructions, and then early the next morning, Moses got up, built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He set up 12 pillars for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, really setting apart, really giving them position, really establishing what God was doing. Again, in 24, verse 5, the people say, we will do all that the Lord commanded. They go through a ritual where they sacrifice animals and blood is splattered all over the place. They were serious about this. They were serious about what God was saying. We'll even recognize that death is involved in this if we don't do this. Signified by the blood. They were actively participating in the covenant that God had made with them. 
They had the writing, but even so, life was distracting. Exodus 24, verse 12, The Lord God said to Moses, Come up to the mountain, stay there, and I'll give you the tablets of stone, which I have inscribed in the instructions and the commands, so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out. Moses climbed the mountain of God. And Moses gets these instructions, and it wasn't just a one-time thing. I think there are so many people in the United States that say, I went to church, I was baptized as a child, one and done, right? And the Israelites, for most of them, said, God spoke to us, so I'm an Israelite, and that's enough. And I'm going to go back to my pagan idols, if you don't mind. I'm going to go get some eggnog. I know God sent me to do some things, but... I've already got a lifestyle, glad that God chose me. Life gets distracting. It gets distracting, and no matter how many times they sacrificed, it was still hard to hear his voice. And so Moses had these tablets. He had the scrolls. Moses began to write down everything from Genesis to Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all of that so that the people would remember all that God did because we need reminders when life gets distracting. That God was faithful. I know you're lonely, but God was faithful. I know you ran out of money, but God's faithful. I know that person left you, but God's faithful. I know you're tired, but God's faithful. Do you remember when God did this? Do you remember when God did that? And so Moses had these instructions. When life is distracting, God's written word gives us clarity to hear God's voice. I want to read that again. When life is distracting, God's written word gives us clarity to hear God's voice. Moses did as much as he could, and God did as much as he could for the people. He, he in fact, gave them something called the Passover meal to remind them. It wasn't just the scriptures, but they were beginning to hear God's voice in ritual as well in remembering that God had put blood over the doorposts of the people so that death would pass over and wouldn't hurt any of them, to remind them that God rescued them from slavery, to remind them, to remind them. He gave them the scriptures. Read them over. You saw the video. It was meant to be meditated on day and night, day and night, day and night. Do you remember that God is faithful? Do you remember that God is faithful? Do you remember that God is faithful? This is how God wanted us to hear his voice. Through his scriptures, this is the way he intended that we would remember when life is distracting. Jesus, towards the end of his life, starts doing the same thing. And the same meal that we participated in this morning, he introduces to the disciples to bring them back to that Passover meal. That they would be meditating on what God had done. Remember, remember, remember. But instead of the sacrifices of the animals, Jesus puts himself in the story. This is Matthew 27, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, Take this, eat it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant, the thing that you've been reading forever, my voice, which has told you that I'm faithful. This confirms all of that. All of a sudden now, Jesus not only inserts himself in the story, but he affirms what God said he would do, what God said who he would be. I affirm right now by taking this meal with you. And in just one day, you're going to see a further affirmation of it in my death. 
But right now, I tell you, this is my body. And then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said to them, each of you drink of it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You see, what God wanted to say at the beginning was, I'm always going to be with you. You don't ever have to be afraid. You'll never be alone. I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. And when you screw up, I'll always be with you. Just come back to me. Come back to me and I'll forgive you. Remember that the cost of it is death. Have this sacrifice, but I'll always be with you. There was a meditation on the scriptures that was supposed to remind them of that. And so then Jesus comes back to it. God speaks through his covenant, but then Jesus makes a new covenant. And he says, this whole thing that the scriptures have said, from Genesis all the way to the Old Testament, I affirm it. I affirm the trajectory of where God is going. I affirm that you are to be kingdom of priests. I affirm that you have purpose. I affirm that I'm with you. I affirm that I will never leave you. And I make a new covenant with you. And that new covenant is a reaffirmation of the purpose of people that God has. And finally, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says it. He's already died. He's already risen from the dead. And now he's about to ascend to heaven. But before he does, he says to his disciples, Matthew 28, verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hear this. Teach these new disciples to obey what? All of the commands that I have given you. Everything that's in the scriptures. Everything that articulates the purpose of God. Teach them to obey all these things under my new covenant, which says I have paid the price for all the times that you screw up. I have paid the price so you don't ever have to be afraid. You don't have to make sacrifices anymore. I'm the one you go through now. I've been given all authority. And it's for you to go and be about the purpose that God always had for you. That's written in the scriptures. Everything I've commanded you, Jesus is talking about a season of time in between his resurrection and his ascension where he opens up the scriptures to his disciples where they're given complete understanding of it. Go now, he's saying. Teach these disciples to obey everything I have given you. And be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. One of the reasons why God gives us the scriptures, why Jesus revealed the scriptures to his disciples, why he asked them to share all of that with people is because he knows we're human. But God is committed to working with humans. He's not done with earthlings yet. As much as we want to get to Mars, we've still got some work to be done here. He is commissioning us to share the instructions of the scriptures and invite people to be a part of the purposes of God. But we get so distracted that unless we are bathing ourselves with the scriptures, it's actually a word that Paul uses in relationships to husbands and wife, that you would bathe your spouse with the scriptures. Unless we're bathed with the scriptures, 
We will get too distracted and we will forget the purposes that God has given us. So often you might ask people, why are you a Christian? And they might say, well, because I sin and sometimes I sin and sometimes I'm good and I'm going to go to heaven and not go to hell. And it's that simple. Because they forgot the scriptures. The scriptures aren't about us. The scriptures are about God and his purposes for the world. And when we get bathed in the scriptures, we don't just have to focus on ourselves. We get to focus on the trajectory that God is taking the world, which is taking sin out of it, loving the hell out of the world, and drawing us close in a way where we get to participate in his purposes. But that only happens when we rely and breathe and get bathed in his scriptures where we live in them and meditate on them and read them and share them. They're good for us. 2 Timothy 3.14 specifically says, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They've been given you, they've given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes from trusting Jesus Christ. And then one of the most boldest statements on the scriptures in all of the Bible, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The scriptures are for us because we get distracted. God wants us to be invited into his work, whether we're playing fantasy football or whatever. God wants us to be involved in his purposes. And getting seated and reading and taking time in the scriptures, we get to hear his voice, not just about our lives, but about what he's doing in the world. Gordon Fee is a, a, just a fantastic theologian, a theologian, and he writes a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I recommend you grab it if you're curious about what the Scripture is and the purposes of the Scriptures. He says this, God chose to speak his eternal truths within the particular circumstances and events of human history. This also is what gives us hope. Precisely because God chose to speak in the context of real human history, we may take courage that these same words will speak again and again in our own real history, as they have throughout the history of the church. Just because the world looks crazy doesn't mean the scriptures are irrelevant. It means that everything that's happened in history that God's people have navigated through will be able to speak to us now in the midst of our own craziness. We get seated once again in hearing God's voice through the scriptures so that the world doesn't distract us from God's purposes. God is on the move. He's inviting us to hear his voice. The scriptures are there for that purpose. Would you stand with me, please? Before the service, there was a team of people praying for you they're also getting seated in the scriptures, trying to hear God's voice in the scriptures. And they heard a couple things. I don't even know what they are. Someone with bursitis in the elbow needs healing. Someone who needs direction for their abundant spiritual energy. If those two words speak to you, 
We have a prayer team that's available for you this morning at the end of the service. It's going to be in this front corner by this Christmas tree. These teams are for you to welcome Jesus into whatever you brought with you today, joy or trial. If you have any emotional, physical, or spiritual need, these prayer teams are there to meet you. But if these words speak to you, I really want you to respond this morning. I want to give an invitation to you this morning. There are some of you that have not said yes to God's purposes in the world. You've still been stuck in your own purposes. The whole purpose that God has given the world is for his love and salvation. He's inviting us in. The scriptures are part of him speaking that over us. There's something he has for everyone here. But there is a prayer that I want us all to pray. And especially for those who may not have prayed it before, I want you to consider it this morning. That there is a story bigger than you, spoken from the beginning of time, inviting you into God's purpose. And the simple prayer is just laying down our own purpose. Having the humility to know that in our limited and frail humanity, there's got to be something bigger. There's an invitation, the only invitation of any faith in the world to be a part of God's purpose and to hear his voice. For those of you who are wondering, well, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. I want to, there's no better day. You, you, you do not know when God will speak to you again. I know he's speaking to you this morning. And I would love for you to pray this prayer as the whole congregation's praying together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ. I am sorry for the wrong things I've done in my life. Would you just take a moment and consider that your purposes have been distracting to God's purposes of loving the whole world, of people receiving dignity, of people getting wisdom, that at some point you may have made a mistake that needs forgiveness. Would you consider that this morning in this relational universe? And with the conviction that God loves you, cares for you, and has the only power in the universe to forgive you and set things right, would you please say with me, please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Some of you are feeling like this challenge wasn't for you, but there's a challenge that God is speaking to you. And if God has been telling you this morning, I know I need to read the scriptures more often. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, I know that's for me. I'm called to be a disciple, but I haven't been. There was a one and done for me, and I thought I was done, but I know that Jesus is inviting me deeper to be a part of his purposes, and I've never done that before. If you want to walk in a way, if you want to step into discipleship, where you begin to meditate on God's purposes every day, and you want somebody to help you with that, would you please come see me this morning? Don't leave without coming to see me. We are made to be disciples getting bathed in God's scriptures, and being invited into God's purposes and his story. Discipleship is just that. And I want all of us to become disciples. If you don't feel like you're a disciple and you want help becoming a disciple, 
please come see me before you go. Some of you are going to receive prayer this morning. Some of you are just ready to go. Some of you are ready for lunch because you're excited about youth ministry. But for all of you, I want to give you this blessing this morning. Would you receive this blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? That you would go out hearing God's voice in the scriptures, setting apart time to become his disciple. Not setting apart time to be distracted by the world and its trouble, but being invited into God's story and his voice to be part of his purpose of love for the world. I bless you to this in the name of Jesus. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit to hear his word. Amen. Go in peace.